0: Hi, and welcome to the History of Rosie Roaring Twenties podcast. Today I'm joined with Taya from For the Love of History on Instagram. Um, Hi, Taya. Hi. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your, like, account?
1: Yeah, so um, For the Love of History uh, Instagram is the Instagram connected to my podcast, For the Love of History podcast, Um, and... Every other week, I make a podcast episode about women's history, world history, or weird history. I especially love um, world history the best. World women's history is kind of my my thing, and especially Japanese history. So um, on the podcast, I talk about those topics. And then on the Instagram, it kind of goes hand in hand with the topics that I'm talking about. And then um, I talk a lot about Japan. On my Instagram because I live there.
0: Sounds very interesting. When did you move to Japan just out of interest?
1: I moved to Japan about five years ago uh, with the idea of only staying for like two years uh, and then I just kept staying and kept staying and then I got married to a Japanese guy and now I'm here forever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well it's interesting. It's, it's good to move somewhere new
1: it is it's really fun
0: um so obviously today we're actually going to be talking about the 1920s in Japan as Japan is yes. one of your areas of interest um mm-hmm. so i thought we could start with um just a like a general overview of what Japan was like during the 20s yeah
1: so um Japan in the 20s Japan operates on the kind of a different um Calendar system with eras. So a lot of people have heard of the Meiji era or the Edo era um, and The majority of the 1920s was called the Taisho era and it goes from 1912 until about 1926 yeah 1926 so not entirely to the end of the 1920s, but that's the time period I'm going to talk about today and um, This time period is really interesting because you have an amazing mix of really, really traditional Japan. Like people still wearing kimonos and yukatas every day, samurai were still walking around the streets in very rural areas. But in Tokyo and Osaka and Kobe, it was completely modern, completely westernized. This is the time when the modern salary man was created and government was created. There was elevators for the first time in Tokyo hotels. Um, international trade was just booming and life was just turning more Western in Japan during the Taisho or the 1920s.
0: That's very interesting that um, they kind of have their own, um, like, eras and stuff because I mean Mm -hmm. I don't really know much about Japan but I find it interesting (laughs) that they've like um kind of labeled all their times um I guess it's kind of like us with like the Victorians or like the Edwardian I guess it's similar to that
1: yeah um kind of so the eras are determined by who the emperor is at the time so the Taisho era is named the Taisho era because it was the time that Emperor Taisho was the Emperor. Um, And he, it only goes for 14 years. The Taisho era only goes for about 14 years because he only lived for about 14 years from the time he came to power as Emperor to the time he died. Um, and so some eras are long, some eras are short, and recently the era names haven't been chosen by the emperor's name, but by a special era naming committee.
0: (laughs) I love that, just they're really committed to naming them, like (laughs) they love it.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. Right now we are in the Dewa period, um, and that just happened, we just came to the Dewa period because the uh, the last emperor abdicated, and his son became the emperor now. So we're in reiwa Sanen, the third year of Reiwa this year.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I had no clue whether Japan still had emperors or not, so I've learned something new.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they do.
0: Yeah. So obviously you were talking about how, like, it's still, like, in the 20s it's still quite traditional. Yeah. Um, is that, like, strange for, like, is uh, is it different to other countries? Like, is Japan a lot more traditional?
1: Japan? Mm, tri- they're traditional in the way that Japanese culture is traditional. Um, especially in the 1920s, you had, like, how do, I'm sorry, I'm not explaining this <laughs> wonderfully. So in the 1920s, Um, You had the very traditional like nationalistic people who were in the countryside. They wanted to keep Japan away from Western ideas. They didn't want Western clothing, Western um, economy. They didn't want Western government to come into Japan. They wanted it to stay like it was in the feudal era of Japan. But then you have the emperor's family and the new diet, the new democracy that was happening in Japan that were really traditional and conservative in the Western way, but not traditional and conservative in the Japanese way. So you have a lot of conservatism, but in different ways, the Japanese way and the Western way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I think we have this view of the 20s as being like really liberal and like everyone kind of dropping their traditions. But I don't, Mm -hmm. from what I've like looked at, even like in other countries, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think they added bits of modernism in, but I don't think that, you know, over the 10 years of the 20s or like slightly longer, um, obviously in Japan of the um, era, that actually it did change as much as we think it did.
1: Yeah, the, J- Japan changed, but it became westernized. And so it adopted the traditional morals of the Western world.
0: Yeah, um, I guess like that was just to do with kind of um, political standing in the world and like money and stuff like that. Because, you know, if you keep up with the Western world then you're relevant, um, which Japan always kind of have been.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting time because the period before that was the Meiji period, um, and then the one before that was the Edo period where Japan was closed off to everybody other than Japan for like 300 years.
0: Yeah, um, I know obviously, so in, I could be completely wrong, but in World War One. Mm-hmm. Japan mm. were kind of like a a major player, I guess you'd call them. Um, and then, obviously, by World War II, we see them on the kind of other side of of the uh, of the um, <laughs> equation, shall we say? Yeah, right. um, But yeah. so, was that them starting their relevance by joining in with being kind of a big player? Was that part of this era, of, like building up and you know? Um, I guess, forming friendships with other Western countries as well.
1: Yeah, so Japan in the Meiji era went through the fastest industrialization that any country had gone through. And then in the Taisho era, in the 1920s, Japan wanted to follow along with the rest of the Western world in terms of colonization. So that's why Japan got into World War I in the first place, because they were like, oh, let's invade China, let's help our allies invade these parts of China and Korea and will be a member in World War I. And they did. They totally did. And they were part of the um, Treaty of Versailles, and they were a part of the League of Nations, and they were the only Asian country to do so. But the other countries didn't treat them very nicely. <laughs> they were often called the, the little kid nation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think when we think of, like, Asian countries at the moment, I guess we think China is the big one, but that wasn't really the case at all um, back no. then. hmm And I can imagine, like, Japan kind of getting ridiculed because, I mean they are a small like island I know Britain managed to get away with it somehow but um Japan (laughs) yeah Japan didn't quite get away with their small size
1: no and that definitely has to do a lot with uh racism
0: (laughs) yeah I, I imagine like um, well, I've seen like a lot of kind of World War One propaganda and stuff, and the Japanese mm-hmm. really aren't <laughs> painted in the best of lights. Um, no, <laughs> but it's interesting to think like that, even though they were kind of a big player and probably like a pretty rich country and stuff, that they still weren't treated as equals, like just because they were Asian. Pretty much, like it's quite crazy. Yeah. Um. But so obviously you said like there's kind of traditional and like liberal kind of coming into the mix in the twenties, but like for the mm-hmm. average person, was the twenties in Japan different or was their lives pretty much the same as before?
1: So the average person in the twenties in the taish- in the later middle middle to later Taisho era it started to gradually change in like cities like tokyo kobe osaka life changed dramatically basically in the matter of just a couple years there was incredible westernization and life was really western but you would just go like a few like 30 minutes away from tokyo or osaka or kobe and life basically looked like how it was during when samurais were, like, walking around all over the place.
0: So, um, with, like, the samurais and stuff, obviously they wouldn't have been present in the, um, in the cities and stuff. But, so they would have still been present, potentially, in the,
1: like, oh, they, yeah. Out. Samurais, samurais were still a thing, um, up until the 19... Forties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, somewhere around there.
0: Wow. So I mean, I feel like samurai just feel like the oldest thing ever. Like they don't seem real. Like <laughs> um,
1: right. <laughs> so
0: it's like interesting that they still kind of um, they were still kind of present. Was was there a reason why that they were still present? Or was it just people liked them and they just wanted to keep it going?
1: So samurai. They were a part of the, um, a certain class, like we would consider like, um, them to be like the gentry, the royalty of Japan. They were the really high up families. They were the families that had the money and they weren't samurai in the traditional sense of like, they were off battling, chopping people's heads off, but they were still classified as samurai families.
0: So it would have been a really big thing to be a samurai basically back then. Yeah.
1: The government actually was composed of men from samurai class families exclusively.
0: <laughs> so it would have actually been like a pretty good deal being a samurai um and keeping up that I guess that's why they didn't let go of the power of the samurai because it was just It must have just been such a good position of power to be in.
1: Oh, it really was. It was a good place to be.
0: (laughs) And I guess, like, um, their families would have benefited as well. Like you said, they were samurai families, but I guess, like, maybe the women and stuff in the family, like the wives and stuff, would have benefited from being part of it?
1: Yeah, they benefited as well. Um, They were the first ones to have access to education, Um, going to universities, doing jobs that weren't just housewife or secretary or things like that. Um, Samurai wives or the women in samurai families were allowed to participate in politics after much (laughs) fighting on their part.
0: (laughs) That's, yeah, I mean, I guess that's like a good, like, that's quite liberal, I guess, in a way, like, it's kind of similar position to maybe what like other countries are like. Because as much as we know, women got the vote in like nineteen eighteen in Britain. It was only certain types of women that could vote and do certain jobs and stuff. So I think that pretty much is reflected in the rest of like the world. I guess.
1: I, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, could women vote in Japan? Um, or was was the political system was it a kind of a dictatorship?
1: Um, women couldn't vote um, until 1947. Well, that's quite late then, right? So, women um, in the Taisho era there was a organization called the what were they? The SFK, and they were a women's party, and they uh, fought for women's equal representation in the Diet in politics. And they finally were allowed to have women of the upper class attend the Diet and political events in 1921, but they weren't allowed to vote at all, not even a little bit, until 1947.
0: Um. So, you like you said, they campaigned about it. Um, was there a reason, like, was it because voting in Japan was less, like, you know, like, so in Britain or, like, America, you have, like, A certain amount of parties, and then everyone can kind of vote in their local area for whoever they want. Um, Is it because Japan is kind of more of a like? I don't know. I'm not. I I don't know much about the Japanese like political system. But if it was like (laughs) similar to like somewhere like China, where you only have a choice of like one or two parties, more like dictatorship. Is this potentially why women were kind of really excluded for so long?
1: So. The reason women were excluded for so long is because Japan has one of the biggest gender like disparities gaps in in the developed world. Um, Japan is pretty late on gender equality, and women's roles are were were and are very restricted in Japanese culture, and so. It was just, it wasn't even a question. There were women who were campaigning for the right to vote, but it wasn't big enough or loud enough until post-World War II for them to actually get the right to vote. So that's one of the reasons why it took so long.
0: Yeah, it's just crazy to think about that most other civilized countries um, in the in the Western world did have the vote by I guess by the late 20s at latest um, but most Mm -hmm. got it pre-20s I guess Um, so Mm -hmm. it's quite crazy that Japan were just like no you can't vote (laughs) you're like
1: yeah (laughs) no voting for you
0: (laughs) so was it kind of difficult to be a woman in Japan then, in terms of like you know values and what you could like was it very restrictive society then
1: yeah, it was a very. Uh, that's a, the thing about the Taisho era is you have really, really restrictive societies in the countryside, but also in the big cities. But then you have little outliers called modern, they're modern girls, modern garu. and they were flappers, and they could they were singers and dancers and comedians, but it was okay for them to be not the traditional Japanese woman in the Taisho era because they were entertainers. But regular women couldn't do that kind of a thing.
0: So, basically, if you decided that you wanted to be an entertainer, you were, pretty, you were fine, but if you didn't have the talent, it was like, oh, just, you know, you're a homemaker or whatever.
1: right. Right,
0: exactly. <laughs> Just seems slightly unfair. Like <laughs> those people mm. that have like a nice singing voice are really do- doing the <laughs> getting, getting what they want out of life. Um, yeah. So, I know you said like they were kind of like flapper girls. How- did they have kind of the same um, stigma around them as the normal flapper girl of like being like promiscuous and like drinking too much, or was it a bit more reined in in Japan?
1: No, 100%. The st- same stigmas, the same, like, yeah, just the same stigmas like, against them <laughs> as flappers in the UK and America.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you kind of, like, this image of, like, the flapper and the stigma around it probably isn't true, but yet everywhere you look, it's kind of followed them, and it's, like, mm-hmm. just very strange, but... um I guess it's because they were kind of, um, like, going against the norm of, like, the traditional, like, housewife getting married when you're, like, youngish and, like, having kids and stuff.
1: Yeah, and definitely within, um, Meiji, Taisho, even Showa, uh, after, like, the 1930s, 40s, and, yeah, 30s and 40s in Japan, that I the ideal woman in japan was a homemaker, a wife, and a, a mother. like that's if you did those things, you were serving your country, you were an asset to society. an asset to society and that's what you should aspire to be. yeah. so the flappers who weren't doing those things were just social pariahs unless they got really really famous. And then you were allowed to be that way (laughs) because you were an outlier.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, this is only, like, a hundred years ago. And it's so different to, like, now. Um, It's just Mm -hmm. crazy to think, like, that was kind of... As much as, like, there's still, you know, people expected to get married and stuff, it's not anywhere near as, like... um, as wanted or needed as that as it was in the 20s um which is just interesting to think about Mm -hmm. how maybe like the flapper girls did you know start paving the way for modern day females to express themselves um
1: yeah thank goodness for them (laughs) yeah
0: um so you were saying about like famous um people was there like any like iconic or famous like um People that came out of Japan in the 20s?
1: So there, in terms of like flapper girls, there was only really one that I could find. And her name was Kono-san. Um, and she was a singer, comedian, and a vaudeville per- performer. And she went on tour in America. She went on tour in the UK and Australia. And she was basically lost to time until the an, a museum in Australia was looking through old photographs by one of the photographers that often took pictures for the museum and they found pictures of this Japanese flapper and they were like what the heck who is this lady and they did some digging and they did some research and they found out it was Kono-san and yeah she was the only the only flapper from Japan that I could find in my research <laughs>
0: Yeah, I imagine like, a lot of people will have just been kind of forgotten about. Um, And Mm -hmm. also, I guess, I guess Japan's probably quite far away from some of the other countries. So maybe it's harder to have a global reach in the 20s because of like, travel times and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly.
1: In terms of like, non flappery things. um, (laughs) There was a lot of scientific research that was going on in the 1920s as well in Japan so you have two really famous people and I was asking my husband the other day I was like hey who do you know that's famous off the top of your head from the Taisho era and he was like no Hideo <laughs> oh who is that <laughs> and uh, no no Hideo was a bacteriologist who discovered the agent um, of syphilis and the cause of progressive paralytic diseases, which is super cool. And so he spread that knowledge to the rest of the world. And then uh, Hideki Yukawa was the first Japanese Nobel laureate. So those are two really famous people that came out of the Taisho era in Japan.
0: And two very clever people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the kind of the the syphilis one was probably really useful for the 20s because, you know, like they weren't exactly on top of, um, you know, sexual diseases and stuff. So he was probably like, there's no wonder like Japanese uh, children probably learn about him in school and stuff because he probably really did everyone a favor. Um,
1: Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) And I guess like the kind of, I think, did you say the other person won the, like, Nobel laureate? Um,
1: Yeah, he won the... He was a theoretical physicist. And he did something with pi. I I cannot tell you what it is because I don't understand it.
0: No. He
1: did something with pi and it was great and he won a Nobel laureate. The first Japanese person to do so.
0: (laughs) Well... I mean, it sounds clever. I mean, just being a physicist sounds clever. So, you know, good on him for doing doing well. Um, I guess like, um, like Japan probably was one of the countries that was like, scientifically, like, I know, whenever we think about like, scientific achievements and stuff, you know, you think of like, America or like, Britain but actually Japan was probably like up there with them because they had the money and resources to like actually research stuff
1: yes so there was actually so after um, Japan opened up to the west they I forget what the name of the tour was but they put a bunch of scientists a bunch of authors a bunch of children on a ship and went around to the UK to America and just learned as much as they could and then brought it back to Japan to start doing research of their own and be industrial and find new things for science
0: (laughs) yeah I guess like that's interesting that they kind of ship themselves out across the world to like take, not steal their research but you know like spy <laughs> <Learn>. on them <laughs> kind yeah, of exactly. kind of like going to a university but like far <laughs> away from Japan just like we're gonna go somewhere else um yes yes but it's just interesting like how I guess like everyone at that time kind of learn off each other like every it was like kind of becoming like a network of like countries and stuff so it's like it's quite cool that like japan was able to go and um kind of spy on other countries and see what they were doing
1: yeah exactly and i just found the name of the mission it was called the iwakura mission and uh yeah so they just sent a bunch of people to different countries and then had them come back and do recon
0: (laughs) Can you imagine, like, if you were, like, that one person that came back and didn't do anything um, of of use, it'd be like, why did we send you?
1: <laughs> right? You're a waste. <laughs>
0: yeah, I imagine, like, there was a few, or, like, some people made, like, stupid discoveries and they're just like, why did we bother?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Um, but, yeah, it's just interesting, like, the links between the West and Japan, because I think we do kind of forget that japan was a big country in this time because i didn't actually know japan was like a big country until i studied like world war 1 I. I just did, i just never considered the fact that they would have been like a massive country so like i was shocked when i kind of found out that they were one of the big the big 6 i think it was um
1: yeah yeah they
0: were yeah so i i was shocked when i found that out cuz i just never considered japan but like now you kind of hear more you think well it does kind of make sense like if they were westernizing and able to make links with other people and stuff so um it's just yeah it's just interesting like to learn a bit more about japan because i I just it's not really a country that i know (laughs) a lot about
1: (laughs) japanese history is fascinating because every like everything happens so slowly at the beginning and then in the middle of Japanese history everything happens super fast and then the country closes and then a bunch of stuff happens slowly and then Japan opens up to the west and it's like boom bam bing like oh my god westernization industrialization we're a modern country like it's it's crazy it's so exciting
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I imagine like to study Japanese history you probably would need like a good knowledge of like Japanese words and like how to say people's names and stuff if you ever want to talk about it.
1: <laughs> yes you really do like so learning Japanese I, I study Japanese and after studying Japanese for some years like Some names that I learned, like back in university and throughout my studies, make so much more sense (laughs) after (laughs) having studied the language.
0: (laughs) And say, like, I feel like once you know the what the words mean, like everything makes more sense. But when you just kind of read a name, you're like, that's just a bunch of letters. How do I pronounce this?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then it's confusing because a lot of people have the same family names and in uh, pre-Meiji era Japan, people's names changed all the time. Even in the Meiji era, people's names changed after like significant events in their life or if they won an award or they did something really cool, their name would just change.
0: (laughs) I mean, that just is very confusing. (laughs) Like
1: super confusing. (laughs) I don't know
0: how you can keep track of someone when they start like changing their name. Like... Just lists
1: lists. <laughs> lists in the margins. <laughs> like, who is this?
0: It's like you like start researching and halfway through you're like, oh wait, this is the other guy that I was looking at like a few a few hours right. ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean so we've kind of like touched on the kind of like flappers and like um mm-hmm. like the kind of typical like um person i guess in japan um mm-hmm. but were there any like significant events in japan that maybe like kind of shaped them or like or just anything that's interesting
1: yeah there is a lot of events that happened i mean the taisho period was such a short era i think there's only one other era that's shorter than the taisho period um but a lot of significant events that would propel japan onto its Modern path and create Japan into the country that it is today happened during the Taisho period. So, one of the, I'll start out with something horrible, if that's okay with you. Go for it. <laughs> and then we'll we'll move on to happier events. <laughs> so, um, in in Japan in, in the Taisho area, the Great Kanto earthquake happened. Um, and this was pretty early on in the the Taisho era. And so in 1923, the Great Kanto Earthquake happened, and it was magnitude 7.9. Wow. That's that a big for, one. It's a super, super big one. It's crazy big. Like, for anybody who doesn't understand the magnitude scale of earthquakes, I didn't before I moved here. It's like so strong that buildings look like jelly. Like they're shaking like freaking jelly. It's weird, it's crazy. Google search magnitude seven earthquake on YouTube and you can see it, it's bananas. It's a huge, huge earthquake. And from this earthquake, fires started, landslides started, there was a tsunami that came, hundreds and thousands of people died. And I think one of the worst incidents was that there was a fire tornado in Tokyo that killed thirty eight thousand people. Thirty eight thousand people because of a fire tornado.
0: I mean, a fire tornado sounds absolutely mad. <laughs> like, right? It, it doesn't sound real. But I can what imagine. Do you do? <laughs> I I mean, just seeing that come towards you, I think you'd just be like, oh. Uh. There's nothing you can do. Like, I guess that's why it killed so many, because it's just impossible.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there was just so much damage. And so after this, a lot of earthquake and natural disaster resources, not resources, um, research was started. Uh, Japan started earthquake proofing and fireproofing and creating regulations for building buildings so that people would stay safe um so that's one great thing that came out of the um Kanto earthquake but one terrible thing that came out of the earthquake and really set the tone for Japan's relationships with um China and Korea was that after the earthquake Korean Japanese people or um Also, uh, Korean immigrants that had been living in Japan for years were massacred because of rumors that they were taking advantage of the aftermath. And this left a bad taste in the Japanese-Korean nationals' mouths, in the Chinese nationals' mouths, in Korea and China, and really set Japan, Korea, and China off on a really bad foot for the rest of, like forever they're still (laughs) not friends to this day (laughs) so that was one really significant event in the 1920s in japan um and then another another thing that happened was uh japan sent the 21 demands to china when japan was occupying china and specifically manchuria um yeah they wanted Basically, China, to give Japan a bunch of land. They were like, we will stop fighting and killing you if you give us Manchuria and Shandong, which are two major hub cities. And China was like, no, we're not going to do that. So then, once again, created really bad relationships between Japan and China.
0: (laughs) And that's still kind of like lasting to this day then I guess yeah. like after they've kind of annoyed them so much. Um yeah. But so um why did they feel like they wanted the like why did they feel like they were entitled to the land? Did they just randomly like decide it or <laughs>
1: Um, It has to do a lot with Westernization. So not only did Western clothes and Western education, uh, but also Western ideas um, came to Japan. And at the time, America and the UK were colonizing everything all over the place. And Japan was like, let me get in on this colonization game. And the closest places that they could colonize was China and Korea. And so they did. They just took it.
0: I mean that's just crazy that they were so influenced by um the the western civilization that they went ahead and did that because I guess during like I guess like from like 1914 to like the 20s like in a way like colonization was on the decrease because of like mm-hmm. the relations because of the war and stuff and I know like obviously mm-hmm. lots of countries like Germany and, like, Austria and stuff got their empires kind of taken away from them and, like, divided up between other countries. Um, So it's interesting that Japan kind of joined so late that they started doing it, like, a lot later on than anyone else was. Like, (laughs) no concept of, like, that it wasn't really the thing to do because it had blown up in everyone's faces.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> Japan had been trying to take over Korea for like thousands and thousands of years. Like in 300 AD like Japan was like let's go get Korea and the first female samurai actually came about because of her conquest of Korea. So they were like they were down with the colonization. But then it went away for a while, and with the resurgence of Westernization, they were like, oh my god, yes, these people are doing it, let's do it too. But you're right, they didn't get the connection that, oh man, colonization isn't a good idea, people get upset, and it's really terrible to do. They just missed that whole part, and they decided to colonize.
0: Yeah, I mean, considering they were literally part of the war, they should have kind Uh of realized that, but... um. Was Korea, like, one country at this time, or was it still, like, north and south? I, I'm not sure when that happened.
1: Oh, yeah, um, so Korea during that time was uh, still one, the Korean peninsula. It was just the one place.
0: And, and Japan were nothing to do with the kind of split between north and south, or or no, were they? <laughs> no,
1: I uh, From what I know no <laughs> but I, I don't really know that much about Korean history to be perfectly honest
0: yeah I just wondered if like Japan going in and being like right we're taking this land just led to like anything but I guess that the Korean one was more like a civil war between themselves rather than being like oh Japan's just taken the half our land let's split off that would be a bit strange to decide that um yeah <laughs> right. but so um Japan, obviously, like, did they, so they were successful in colonizing parts of Korea, or?
1: Yeah, yeah, they did. They fully took over um, Manchuria, they took over parts of um, Korea, and then uh, there's, like, a cluster of islands that were once occupied by Germany um, to the, like, south, west of Japan it's like the marshall islands and other clusters of islands that that like i said germany once occupied and during world war 1 when germany when germany was like occupied with other stuff japan just came in and they were like these are our islands now and then after world war 2 the us and the uk were like yeah sure whatever take those islands whatever have it
0: so i'm guessing like um they like everything that they colonized like during this during the 20s and stuff they kept until like world war 2 basically so they were kind of in I, yeah. control for about 10 to 20 years not like a yeah. not like a massive amount of time i guess
1: so, china and korea they they only had power i think for a max of about 5 or 10 years really Yeah. Um, Starting, I believe, starting in World... I think it was World War II. Yeah, so I think maybe 15 years. um, Because I was, again, talking to my husband, and his grandfather as a teenager went to China during World War II um, and spent some time there, and then got sent back. Um, All of them did after World War II, so... I think that was when it stopped. I think that's when the Chinese occupation or the 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 Japanese occupation of China stopped.
0: Yeah, I guess like that would probably be similar in a lot of cases for a lot of other countries as well. Um but it's just interesting that they kind of went to all the effort of colonizing in the 20s for it not to even last like a significant period of time like I guess with other colonies like they did last like I mean, like, say, like, Britain and India lasted, like, a huge amount of time, which really made a significant impact on the country, whereas I guess Japan's impact on, like, China would have been quite minimal.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Um, the impact was really minimal. Um, and that had to do in part with the UK and the US being like, hey, you guys, you, you got to get out of China. You Like, you can't be here anymore. We're going to start making china an economic hub so we want control of china you got to get out kind of a thing <laughs>
0: that, i mean that's just typical American britain just trying to take <laughs> take it from someone else like they're not settled with japan having a little bit of power <laughs>
1: no <laughs> um and there's some like amazing political cartoons that you can see um of of that time um when Japan was trying to argue for occupation of China it's awesome you definitely listener you should google those those political cartoons they're amazing
0: (laughs) yeah I'll definitely have to look them up as well that sounds very interesting because I guess like a lot of the like political cartoons we see are well the ones that I've kind of looked at are from a very like specific viewpoint so it would be good to kind of see like what viewpoint they were all looking at it in and like um what they kind of were thinking about what was going on
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's really cool (laughs) um
0: but yeah it's it's interesting like that um they they decided to colonize um but did so was so military I know we've touched on like samurai um Mm -hmm. but so I'm guessing if they were colonizing they had to have like a pretty big or like effective military was that quite a big thing in Japan in the 20s
1: yeah um, the military just exploded at the time Um, there was a huge shipbuilding industry the navy was huge I mean obviously Japan is an archipelago it's just a bunch of islands so you would have to have a really good navy Um, (laughs) so uh, military just exploded Um, the national conscription also began in the Taisho era, not in the nineteen twenties, um, but just a little bit before. But it was in the Taisho era, um, right before World War One, I, I believe, when national con- conscription started. When it's like the draft. Um, so after that, the military just exploded.
0: So with the conscription, did, so this was mm-hmm. kind. Did a what was the kind of like rules behind it like how did everyone kind of have to join the army at one point
1: i believe it was all men above the age of 16 i think it was because the age of adulthood in japan um for boys is 16
0: yeah which so I is believe it... different to most countries which is 18 i guess
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So when boys were 16, they were just automatically enlisted. And for a conscription, you would get, um, like, the governor of the area would just decide, you know, how many men they needed from that area or that region. And you would get a red letter in the mail. Akagami. Literally red paper. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) Um. Yeah, that must have been, like, quite a kind of... I don't know, like, you would have been like, oh, God, I've got the red paper and, like... Uh, yeah. Or, or were they actually quite into their military? Like, I know, like, say in, like, Britain, like, when conscription was, like, for the wars, everyone was like, yeah, I'm going to join. I love my country. Was that kind of the case in Japan as well?
1: It was... You were supposed to feel that way, but obviously you didn't. Like... You were supposed to be happy that you got the paper and that you were serving your country. But, you know, of course, of course you didn't want to go. Of course you didn't want to leave your family. So you had to do uh, something in Japanese called tatemai. Like, you have to be happy or be a certain way in front of people. But your insides are feeling completely different. So...
0: Yeah, I guess, well, I guess, like, that's the case for most people that um, had to join a war or, like, a fight. But Mm -hmm. I guess we have this kind of um, opinion of people, like, that they were really happy and, like, oh, yeah, like, we love fighting. But actually, most people were probably on the other end of the spectrum of, like, no. (laughs) Mm And Um, at
1: this time, before World War II... Um, the emperor was still considered, the emperor and his family were still considered to be gods. Um, And so serving your country meant serving the emperor, which was essentially a god. So if you didn't do what you were supposed to do for your country, you were letting your country down, your emperor down, and thus basically a god down.
0: That's Yeah, I guess that's like, Interesting because in most other countries, uh, they, by this point, as much as like you know, the royal families like to say they were descended from God, they had a lot less power. Um, mm-hmm. Like in Britain, and well, I mean, I guess Britain's the main one that I, I know about. Um, <laughs> but they didn't have; they don't necessarily have much power. And it's not like, I guess, but in Japan, I guess maybe the emperors and his family did have actual power, which they could use.
1: So that, it just depends on the the era that you're in. The emperor's power goes up and down throughout Japanese history. Like, during the Edo period, the emperor was just like a puppet. He was a figurehead. The real leader was the shogun, which was the military leader, um after the Edo period ended, then the emperor became super, super powerful again and was the one that made all of the decisions. And then after World War II, when the uh, emperor at the time was forced to say that he wasn't a god, um, his power kind of went down and democracy went up. People still respect the emperor and he's a huge part of Japan and yeah, but no real power really.
0: Yeah. I guess that's the same as like the Royal family in Britain. It's like, they're they're there now, but Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. compared to say, I don't know, like the 1500s when you had the Tudors literally ruling the country, like it's very Mm. different um, perspectives. Like, even though people respect them, their role has changed over the years. And I guess, like during like the modern period from like nineteen hundred onwards, I guess that was happening all across the world, um especially to do with the wars and stuff because it's mm-hmm. easy to hold the kind of figurehead accountable for any wrongdoing and I guess that yeah. probably happened in Japan as well. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's I would say that Japan is essentially the same. Um, when it comes to the 1900s, in the, because in the, in the early 1900s, it was still, oh no, sorry, 1860, 1876 was when um, the Edo period ended. So in the early, early 1900s, the emperor's power was like, phew, crazy, super strong, and the military leaders went down. And then they followed along with the rest of the world and the emperor, the royal family's power went down after World War II.
0: Yeah. And so were military leaders, were they in the 20s, were they then becoming kind of powerful in the country? Because I guess like in a lot of countries, people in the military are like a big part of um, the country's government
1: yeah like I was saying um, previously, the most of the people that whole held political positions came from the Samurai class. And they transitioned from samurai to military people and thus they held a lot of power in the government.
0: Yeah, I can imagine like most kind of leaders or like um, influential people, in government happen to have some sort of military background. Like you look at oh, kind yeah, of sure. like key figures and a lot of them do have that kind of, because it was important to um, them at the time. Whereas I think, you know, in the past, since the twenties, and maybe since after world war two, the, the shift kind of has gone away from military um, because it's for sure. not as important because we're not fighting mm-hmm. a war every other year. Um, well, yeah.
1: so um, <laughs> and in Japan's case after World War II the US and the UK were like no more military for you you can't have anything uh, and so <laughs> Japan is <laughs> technically not allowed to have a military they have a Japan self-defense force right now but it's not it's 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 not like a military that we would associate with the UK and the US
0: that's amazing that they still don't have a proper military even though it's been like at least 70 years since the war finished (laughs) um
1: that's why there's so many um american and uh british bases here in japan is because that was a part of the the deal like uh, the UK and the US were like, "All right, you can't have a military, but we'll come and we'll protect you. So we'll just be here, <laughs> occupying parts of your country. No um, big deal."
0: I mean, it's classic America and Britain, isn't it? Just right, classic. <laughs> um,
1: Such dickheads. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But I guess this would have been, like, an embarrassment to Japan because I guess during the 20s, like, we were saying they had a really big, like, military and it was, like, important to them because obviously they were kind of colonising and fighting everyone that they could. So I guess, like, Mm -hmm. to have a decline again, like, from after the... Like, in the 30s and stuff, like, after the war, they must have been, like, quite embarrassed by this.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, embarrassed heartbroken the country was just torn apart after world war 2 it was there is one of the worst economic depressions in japan's history after world war 2 like i know the us and the uk had economic booms but japan did not have the same thing happen it was destroyed
0: yeah on the like a topic of like um economic depression Did the Mm -hmm. depression, as in, like, the Wall Street crash in 1929, did that affect Japan, or were they mainly shaded from it?
1: So, the horrible thing uh, happened to... A super horrible thing happened to Japan. There was a huge economic crash in 1920. Like, in 1920, just the economy... Totally went to shit, and they suffered through the 1920 depression of in Japan, and then also the Great Depression, depression, the global Great Depression. So the 1920s was like a really hard time for them economically speaking.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they don't have much luck in the like 20s, 30s, 40s, no, 50s. No. Like, <laughs> doesn't sound like they were very lucky with uh with that um no which is kind of interesting because I guess like they even though they were going through an economic depression like in the early 20s they still managed to like get power and like do what other con- like keep up with other countries which I guess is like mm-hmm. I guess they were just good at like getting by with what they <laughs> with um mm-hmm. even with the bad circumstances because most yeah. countries wouldn't have been able to thrive like that.
1: Mhm. To bounce back from two two big depressions in the span of like 10 years.
0: Yeah, I mean it can't have been like great for them. Like they they probably just got out of the first one and then the rest of the world kind of collapses and you're like, "Oh, like <laughs> well, cool. it's not it's not <laughs> ideal, is it?" Um okay. So we've already kind of touched on um, important events and like significant um, stuff, but is there any other like um, mentions to this category?
1: Yeah, um, I I have to mention the creation of the Saradiman, the salary man in Japan. So, it, in in the year two thousand twenty one that we are in right now, you can go out. In the morning and see mostly men wearing their suits, carrying their briefcase, ha- their hair wonderfully coiffed, very nice suits, and these are called salarymen, sarariman. and they are, they make up the biggest population of working people. Um, they're just, they're basically salesmen. There's so many different kinds of salesmen in Japan and most people, after graduating from university, become salary men, even the women. They're salary women now. And this started in the Taisho era. At the beginning of the Taisho era, there were, you know, little tiny local businesses, local companies. But in the middle of the Taisho era, in the middle of the 1920s, huge companies started to get together and become nationwide companies or even just big companies in that region. And trade was also increasing in Japan, even though they were going through some economic difficulties. <laughs> and the salary man was created in the Taisho era. And it just completely changed the face of Japanese life, Japanese economy, the family system in japan the work culture in japan all centers around the salary man and that's that's when it started in the 1920s
0: (laughs) well i've never heard of them but i can fully imagine like i can imagine them very clearly um Mm -hmm. and yeah it's interesting it started in the 20s like they've been around for for 100 years now um yeah which is just it's crazy to think that like that's the same. Like, uh, maybe the jobs have changed slightly, but, like, mm-hmm. the the concept of it all is like, just kept, kept up.
1: Yeah. And they were one of the first people to adopt Western clothes, like the suit. Like, you can Google Salaryman 1920s Japan and then Salaryman 2021 Japan and it's just... A black and white picture and a color picture, and it basically looked the same.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So previously to this, were they wearing like traditional, like Japanese clothing? Was that what was. Yeah. The
1: the go to clothing um, pre Meiji era, um, the era that happened right before, was yukatas and kimonos and hakamas. So basically, like robe clothing. And then like a big, almost like MC Hammer pants, but Japanese (laughs) style. (laughs) That would would go over shorter uh, kimonos so you could wear pants. And that was like the standard. Everybody wore that. And they were, of course, made of different quality fabrics, different quality patterns. But that was the standard outfit of the time. And then in the Meiji era, the emperor started wearing western clothes and then slowly slowly it expanded to the very wealthy families in Japan and then in the 1920s pretty much everybody who lived in a big city wore western clothes especially these salarymen they would wear the western suits
0: yes interesting yeah was it expensive to um, invest in um, Western clothing or was this now the cheaper option?
1: No, it was super expensive to invest in Western clothing especially in the beginning of the um, Taisho era like in, in 1920 because of the economic crash buying Western clothes was really, really expensive um, and slowly they became more available to people but if you worked in a company you would wear a suit basically, or a fun combination of, like, Western accessories and a hakama, which is, like, the pants version of the kimono.
0: I imagine that would have been a very strange strange mix. Um. It's so
1: cool. (laughs) Super cool, super strange. And on YouTube, you can actually, if you just type in Japan 1920s or Japan Taisho, um, there's a series of black and white videos um of just people walking in the streets of Kobe in Tokyo and Osaka it's really cool
0: yeah it sounds really interesting I'll have to look it up because I just I'd love to I'm just imagining how they would have all looked
1: <laughs> <laughs> with their bowler hats and their uh, like kimonos on it was amazing <laughs> <Monocles>. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I imagine that that definitely would have been a great sight like (laughs) to see um but yeah I mean I think it's just interesting like how um I guess like it just depended on where you live depending on what you would wear and stuff like that it's just crazy
1: truly truly because you just have some places that are so traditional and in Japan usually the the places that are more countryside take a longer time to develop like here I live in Hiroshima now and it's super modern um except in the town that I live in is not super modern (laughs) but Hiroshima city is really modern um but the place that I used to live in um Shikoku is like an island off the coast of uh Hiroshima prefecture um and that was a much 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 more traditional place just because it's harder to get to and isn't a hub of the economy of Japan. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's interesting, like, how that does affect it. Like, you wouldn't really consider that, because I guess, like, it's in like, America, as much as there's, like, um, differences between, like, different states, like, they've mostly all got very similar, like, values and, like, stuff like that, like, the majority. So I think, and obviously coming from, like, Britain, we're just such a small country that everywhere's pretty much the same like as much as you have like different accents and stuff like there's nowhere that's like I guess more or less traditional I feel like everywhere's pretty much the same so it's quite strange Mm. like Japan like I just like it's kind of weird that there's such a difference between different areas
1: there's such a difference like if you go to Tokyo to visit you don't know what the rest of Japan is like. <laughs> you know what Tokyo is like. <laughs> and if you go to Osaka, you don't know what the rest of Japan is like. You know what Osaka is like. Like Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, Hiroshima, those big cities, they are their own place. But then when you head to the very like countryside parts of Japan, that's when you can see... The more traditional places, the countryside places in Japan are more similar all throughout the country than the big cities are.
0: Yeah, so if you go on a trip to Japan, mm-hmm. maybe try and check out more than one area to really get a feel yeah. for the country.
1: Yes, I would say if you're going to Japan, if you're taking a trip, definitely go to, go to Tokyo. You gotta go to Tokyo, everybody's gotta go to Tokyo, my personal favorite is Osaka. I love Osaka. I love the people in Osaka. The, that area, the Osaka, Hyogo, like Kobe area is called Kansai. Uh, and Kansai people are my favorite people because they're so like outgoing. <laughs> they're definitely different kind of people in, in that area. <laughs> and then check out a super countryside place. That's my recommendation if you come to visit Japan. Go to Shikoku. Nobody goes to Shikoku. It's super fun. They'll love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, great to have some uh, travel recommendations for when eventually (laughs) that might be allowed. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like maybe in like a few years time when this is all over.
1: (laughs) Oh, God, don't say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, no. Hopefully a few months time. Hopefully Fingers a few months.
1: More months time. I want to go home. I want to see my family.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just crazy. Um but yeah, once once travel's open back up, then everyone should take your recommendation of uh, yes. visiting a few areas of Japan and getting a real feel for the, for the identity of Japan rather than just being yeah. a tourist. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and send me a dm i one of my favorite things is to make tours for people like i would love it i would love to make you a personalized tour (laughs) (laughs) there you go if you ever come to japan i will make you a tour (laughs) well
0: thank you tour guide sorted like there we go (laughs) no problem problem. (laughs) um so i guess we should probably you know go to the final um note of the podcast and say like wrap up with any like interesting facts or like stories that you've got about this time
1: yeah so uh are you a fan of anime or manga
0: um I mean I I wouldn't say I'm a fan but I know what it is
1: (laughs) (laughs) excellent (laughs) (laughs) so um there is for any listeners out there who are fans of anime or manga, there is a really, really, really super famous anime that has taken Japan by storm. If you ask any child of speaking age what anime is their favorite, they will say Kimetsu no Yaiba, which is in English, demon slayer. And it is super crazy popular right now. And it is set In the Taisho era. So if you want to get a good feel of what it was like uh, living in Japan in the Taisho era, I definitely recommend this anime. Uh, There's a particular scene that I think is hilarious and really encapsulates what the Taisho era was like for the regular person. not giving any spoilers away, but there's a character who uh, is living in the countryside, and he goes to a major city and just loses his mind because uh, he's never seen—he's never seen a train, he's never tr- seen electric lights before, he's never seen cars, anything like that. So, it's a hilarious scene, uh, and I definitely recommend that anime to see what the Taisho era was all about.
0: I'll definitely have to add that to my list so I can uh, <laughs> get a little concept of what it was like for um, in the 20s in Japan um, but it sounds interesting um, like and it's it's interesting that it's like really popular is that just because it like is it just because the stories really like good or
1: oh the story is amazing my husband and I binge watched it in like the matter of a few days and it is so good like we went and watched the movie a a movie came out uh gosh a couple months ago and we went and watched it we cried it was amazing the storyline is just so good
0: (laughs) (laughs) and was it it was it's like a new like a written recently but set in the past or is it like an old story kind of thing
1: no it was written, the manga was written, I think in like 2016, but for some reason in 2019 or 2020, I believe it was in 2020, um, an animation studio picked it up and I'm so glad that they did because it got super, super popular. So it's written recently based, um, in the Taisho era. era. <laughs> yeah,
0: it sounds, sounds good. I'll definitely have to, uh, definitely have to check it out. Um... I'll try and like link the, the a link to it somewhere when I share the podcast <laughs> yeah. so that if anyone does wanna like find it, you you don't have to like try and search like <laughs> the internet for yeah. it. Um it's
1: on Netflix too.
0: <laughs> there we go. That's that's the easiest way. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um But yeah, I'll definitely like try and link a few things for people to like um look at when once the episode comes out because I think it's easy just to have everything you know together so you can all just click on it and and know what we're talking about maybe
1: (laughs) yeah and I'll definitely send you some links to put in your show notes
0: (laughs) yeah definitely um and obviously like if anyone wants to um ask any more questions and I'm sure either of us will be happy to answer Um, maybe, (laughs) maybe message, um, (laughs) Taya because she probably knows a little (laughs) bit more about Japan than me. (laughs)
1: Um, (laughs) Send me a message anytime. I'm happy to answer questions. Yeah. It, it makes my day to hear from listeners. So it's my favorite thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And you know, don't waste having a Japanese expert um <laughs> available. <laughs> so definitely, definitely drop a message.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Mm-hmm.
0: Um but yeah, um thank you everyone uh for listening and um I hope you enjoyed learning about um nineteen twenties Japan with us and thank you to uh Taya for joining me on this episode.
1: Yeah, of course, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome and um I will make sure to link uh, your Instagram um, so that everyone can uh, see some more of your Japanese um, life (laughs) as well. That would be awesome. (laughs) But yeah, thank you everyone for listening.